0: and you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there, so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grief to growthcom slash community. I'll see you inside.
1: Hi there, welcome to Grief to Growth podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, best-selling author, grief survivor, and life coach. Brian believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Brian says he was planted, not buried, and he is here to help you grow where you've been planted by the difficulties in life. In each episode, Brian and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. It is his sincere hope. This episode helps you today.
0: Okay. Hey, everybody. This is Brian Smith back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And I've got with me today, Dr. Karen Wyatt. Uh, I'm going to read Karen's uh, bio, and then we're going to have a conversation like we always do. Um, Dr. Karen Wyatt is a family physician who has spent her 25-year medical career working with patients in challenging settings such as hospices, nursing homes, and indigent, indigent clinics. She has founded a free medical clinic in a homeless shelter, accompanied three medical mission teams to Honduras, and led a nonprofit clinic for the uninsured in its growth from a four-hour-per-week all-volunteer operation to a full-time, full-service medical center. Motivated by her compassionate heart, she's put her spiritual beliefs into action by being of service to others in need and by developing Creative Healing LLC, which is an initiative to integrate spirituality in a traditional medical practice. She has twice testified at Senate briefings on the cutting-edge model of integrated medical care, combining physical and behavioral health, which she helped create and implement in her clinic for the uninsured. And in addition for her devotion for helping others, Dr. White has had a passion for writing since she was a child. So during medical school, she helped organize a group of students into the Not Ready for Exam time players and wrote and performed skits and song parodies to entertain the school's entire medical community. Applying her writing skills to medical topics, Dr. Wyatt has written the book, Seven Lessons for Living from the Dying, and we're going to talk about her book today. It details her experiences as a hospice physician. She also wrote a chapter entitled An Integral Approach to the End of Life for the book, Consciousness and Healing, Integral Approaches to Mind-Body Medicine, edited by Marilyn Schlitz and Tina Amarak. In addition, Dr. Wyatt wrote and self-published the book, A Matter of Life and Death, Stories to Heal Loss and Grief and the ebooks, Loss and Grief Survival Guide, and Coping with Life-Threatening illnesses. And you can find Dr. Wyatt at KarenWyattMD.com and find out a lot more about her there. So with that, I want to welcome Dr. Wyatt to Grief to Growth.
2: Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: Thanks. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. Um, I just looked up your bio right before we got in the because you sent me a very short bio for the, for the podcast, and you were very modest. You've done a, a lot of really interesting things and, and fascinating things. One of the questions I want to ask you off off the top, I've talked to people who have been hospice nurses who have talked about the afterlife and and what people experience at the end of death. And I've seen a lot of nurses talk about that, but frankly, I haven't seen many doctors. So do you know, do you have any idea why that might be?
2: Well, I think a a lot of times it's amazing, but in medical school and medical training, we don't learn about death and dying as doctors. And a lot of times I think doctors tend to avoid death because they don't feel comfortable with it. And they view the death of their patients as a failure. And so it's, it's not something that they are comfortable with for the most part, unless they're unless they have received training in hospice. And so it's unfortunate because I I think doctors would be able to provide much better care for the whole patient if they could just embrace the end of life and, and deal with that and address it with their patients. But at this point, we still don't have enough education for doctors around death.
0: Yeah. I, I think I'm hearing there, there might be some changes now where they are teaching some things about death to doctors. Is that true?
2: Yes, it's starting to change. And a lot of medical schools and residency programs are incorporating some at least some workshops or, or modules on death and dying. But one problem is, it's a kind of a lack of people within the profession who are actually able to teach it who actually have enough experience to be able to teach the students. So sometimes the faculty members who are teaching about death, haven't had that much experience with it themselves. They're just trying to create a curriculum. So it's it's changing and it will get better over time. But
0: Yeah, I was wondering about that because I was wondering if it's like because the doctors aren't around when patients are dying, it's typically the nurses or if it's the training because doctors are, you know, they're, they're so scientific and materialistic or if it's just the, like you, you touched on it's just that death is seen as the ultimate failure if you're a doctor. I would imagine.
2: Yeah, that's part of it. And you were right. Um, the first thing you said that doctors often are not around when the patient actually dies. And I even remember in our residency training program where we we are assigned patients to work with that will be good teaching cases. If a patient is terminal and expected to die soon, they don't assign them to residents because they don't view that as a as a, a good teaching patients that you could learn from. And that's just so unfortunate because if every doctor during their training had been with even just one patient at the, as they were dying in their last dying hours, I think it would change everything in medicine, but we're working toward it. Hopefully that will happen.
0: Yeah. So how did you get interested in hospice as a doctor?
2: Well, um, it's my story came about because of tragedy, and grief with which I know you're familiar. Um, mm. I was I trained in family medicine, and so I was a young doctor, and just had just started in my practice. I had my own clinic, and my father died by suicide, mm. and it was absolutely devastating to me. And um, just as as it would be for anyone losing a father mm-hmm. in that way. But uh, for me, in particular, as a doctor and in my medical training, I'd done extra training in psychiatry and mm-hmm. psychology. And to know I couldn't help my own father with his depression and I couldn't save my own father, yeah. it really shattered me. So I, I was dealing with a huge load of guilt and grief, both that I was carrying and ultimately, I wasn't. I wasn't getting better for three years. I was floundering, um, not functioning very well as I was carrying all this grief. And I one day just got the inspiration. I should. I should call hospice and see if they if I could volunteer there because it, it occurred to me, maybe I need to dive in to the middle of the pain, dive mm-hmm. right into death and dying and grief in order to deal with it. And I thought I will either sink there, I will either sink or I will learn how to swim through this. And indeed, that's what happened. I Once I got to hospice and started seeing patients there, I realized that that was actually where I was meant to be all along. I fell in love with... The practice and being with patients. And I ultimately shifted my whole career path at that Hmm. point to hospice full time.
0: So you started Uh, off there as a volunteer. And then you decided mm-hmm. to go in and do it full time.
2: Yeah, I did it full time later in later years. I went back into family medicine. So that's when I did the clinics in homeless shelters. Because some, you know, the hospice work really inspired me to see medicine as a spiritual path. And so no matter where I was, no matter what I did, I wanted to use my medical skills and knowledge um, to help me grow spiritually, but also to be of service to my community. So, uh, so I, I always worked in hospice and then on the side of family medicine, I kind of did a combination of both of them in the later years.
0: Wow. So what were your spiritual beliefs going into hospice? And did they change after you started working in hospice?
2: Well, one thing that's interesting, I I had this epiphany when I was a teenager about love, that I am here to learn to, to love, to learn mm. to give and to receive love. And that was my overriding philosophy and belief system. When I went to medical school, I saw love is what heals. Love is the force that can heal people. And but I saw I was naive in some ways and idealistic. Mm -hmm. And it was really that's one of my beliefs that got shattered by my dad's death, because he was one of the people I loved most in the world. And I had to ask myself, if my love couldn't save my own dad, how do I think My ability to love will save a patient. Um, So I had to go back and start all over again thinking about love. What is love? How do we actually share love with people? And hospice allowed me to do that because that's something I saw all my patients struggling with, too, at the end of life, Um, this idea of love. So I feel like it gave me a chance to learn more authentically, Mm -hmm. and more spiritually about love, instead of the rather naive way I, I thought of love before this tragedy happened, if that makes any sense.
0: Sure, absolutely. What were your beliefs in terms of the afterlife when you were going in the hospice? And did that change any?
2: I was um I would say I was aware that there was something bigger than just this physical existence mm-hmm. but I wasn't sure what that was but after many experiences of being at the bedside with hospice patients it became really clear to me that that we continue on in some form or another after death because so many patients had loved ones visit them or talk to them or, or connect with them in a way before they died and and they would tell me all about that i think partly because i was open to it so i let them know i was willing to hear whatever they wanted to share mm-hmm. and it convinced me that that those experiences are real that it's it's not um, a, a drug side effect the patient is experiencing or or anything else that it's a real spiritual experience. So, whereas before I knew there was something, but I wasn't sure if we continued on or, or what it was um, beyond death. But after hospice work, I, I became certain that there is an afterlife and perhaps many afterlives for us, perhaps many lives.
0: Yeah, you know, as you mentioned that, it's really interesting that uh, and, uh, some listeners may know this and some may not know this. But a lot of times when people are, are coming close to the end of their physical life, they'll be visited by loved ones on the other side. And I've seen it with actually both of my in-laws will talk about someone that just came to visit them. And it's almost always, if not always, someone who's already deceased. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like they're just hallucinating because it's hardly ever anyone that's still on this side. And they'll say they were just here. You just missed them.
2: Sure. <laughs> Yes, yes. I've seen it over and over again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, some patients tell me that they had gone somewhere else, that they themselves had traveled somewhere else, Mm -hmm. and they came back from there and wanted to talk about it. So it was similar to a near-death experience and talking about seeing lights and feeling love and how beautiful it was. And in every case for those patients, it was so reassuring. It took away any fear that they had, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it really helped their family. At least when we could talk about what was happening, that this is a a positive experience and your loved one is at peace now and feeling comfortable with with what's taking place because because they feel loved and they feel protected and secure.
0: Yeah. So you saw that, too, because I I interviewed uh, Deborah Diamond, who's a medium who volunteers at hospice, and she talked about this, like the patients are traveling back and forth they're between both worlds. So did you see that, too?
2: yes for for the first few years i didn't quite know what was happening it, it seemed clear to me the patients were not there they were in a comatose state and mm-hmm. unresponsive and i knew something's happening they're somewhere they're working on something um, but it became clear when some of them were able to start talking about what they had experienced when they were in a coma
1: mm-hmm. uh, some
2: were able to become alert again and talk about it and then i realized that this they definitely are there it's as if they have a foot in each realm and they're going back and forth.
0: Yeah, and I've heard of uh I call it terminal lucidity. I'm not that's a real term or not. Have no, you seen have you is, seen that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, tell me uh, about that.
2: Some patients who've been in a comatose perhaps for several days uh, will suddenly wake up. They become totally lucid. They might even sit up in bed and start talking normally. And, and whereas they were completely debilitated before and unable to sit up or swallow or, and could barely talk, they suddenly have this surge of energy through them and they can talk. Sometimes they have messages that I found. I just rem- I remember it really clearly happening with one man when I was in the room and he sat up, looked at me and looked at his family and he said, don't say it if you don't mean it. And that's all he said. But that message was so powerful to me that it I actually took that with me wherever I went and I thought he's saying you have to be authentic and have integrity about every single thing you say and that's a really powerful message Mm -hmm. he gave to us Um, so uh another patient I, I thought of uh who had had Alzheimer's and hadn't been able to speak for one year had not spoken, but mm. her wife woke up one night and heard him heard him speaking in the other room and went in. He was sitting up in bed and appeared to be having a conversation with his brother who had died a few years earlier. Wow. And she said, it was like 10 years earlier, he was speaking completely normally and totally coherent. And I understood every word he said and uh, having the conversation. And apparently his brother... Was there waiting for him um, to accompany him?
0: So, let me ask you as a doctor is there any medical explanation for something like that?
2: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called fan mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So, look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way. I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think.
2: Well, I don't think so. (laughs) I mean I don't I don't think that we can explain that happening uh, based I I mean it hasn't really been studied thoroughly you know mm-hmm. because those those events are rare enough and so we don't know what's happening metabolically for the patient but I really believe that it's something spiritual that science will have a hard time measuring and addressing and looking at so that That's what I see. It's something that's beyond the physical realm, and that's what makes it so hard for science to explain or even study.
0: Yeah, because I think about like an Alzheimer's patients and i and I've heard of that someone who's been nonverbal for for a year or more. And we say it's because their brain is, you know, deteriorating or has the plaque or whatever it is, that's causing this. And it's, so it's like that suddenly goes away right before they, before they, before they transpire. It's like, it's like, um, like you said, almost like a boost of energy. I kind of view it as, I look at the brain as kind of a reducing valve. that filters consciousness. And it seems like at that last burst, it's like the consciousness just kind of breaks through or breaks free of the brain or something.
2: Yeah. I have I have this image in my mind as people die that the physical body begins to dissolve away and fade away in some mm-hmm. ways so that mm-hmm. the spiritual body becomes more and more evident and more and more powerful in a, in a mm-hmm. sense. And yeah. so that we can not we can see it more, but also hear hear from it like it's it functions um, to a greater and greater extent as the physical body begins to fade away.
0: So um, after you did this hospice work, what inspired you to write the book, uh, Seven Lessons for Living from the Dying?
2: It it became clear to me over time. I I almost had the feeling that I'm being... I am being given certain patients Mm -hmm. and to follow and to go on this journey because they're they're teaching me things I need to know that I need to learn for my own life. So it was as if I was in this curriculum in a way in hospice learning from every patient and over time. I saw how powerful those lessons were. I was learning and how much they changed my life, Mm -hmm. including helping me deal with my grief and learn how to carry that grief with grace, but go on and still have a productive life. And so I ultimately uh, heard from several patients who told me they were just now learning things at the very end of life that they wish they had known their entire lives and they said but we are not able to share these things with other people we won't be here and so a couple of patients said would you would you tell people my story would you share this with others and that's when I knew I need to write this in a book it took a long time for me to actually get it written but I Mm -hmm. knew that someday I needed to share these stories and talk about these lessons
0: So um, of the seven lessons, we we won't have time to go through all of them, but if you had to pick one, which which one would you want to talk about?
2: Well, I would say the lesson of forgiveness as one of the most powerful lessons for me personally and also for my patients. It's something I saw essentially every person working on at the end of life trying to Hmm. figure out how do I forgive people that have harmed me in my life? And how do I feel forgiven by others or forgive myself? And most of them said they just did not want to carry with them any longer the burden of anger and resentment that Hmm. they had been feeling. So I saw them working on how, how do you do it? How do you let go of something and how do you forgive someone and it impressed upon me that that's something I wanted to start working on now earlier not waiting till my deathbed to work on and I really do believe that forgiveness is one thing that can it can change our physical health but definitely our emotional and spiritual health as well if we learn how how to practice it and and it's a lifelong practice that that really we we have to work on a little at a time every day
0: yeah it's one of those things that I think we all know we should do, but some of us really struggle with it you know how How do I do this do you have any any insight into that
2: well uh one of the things that I've learned is to first of all set aside the idea that what has happened in my life shouldn't happen, and that included my father's death. That was one of the mm-hmm. the biggest things I had to forgive my father for taking his life yeah. I had to forgive um God, I guess, for allowing this to happen or mm-hmm. for putting me into a lifetime where I would experience it. And so getting over the belief that things shouldn't happen the way they do is one of the first steps and just accepting that this is this is what happened. And now I want to find a way that I can be at peace with it. And for me, in terms of when I need to forgive another person, I usually spend some time trying to put myself in that person's shoes and understand what they might have been feeling or what was happening for them to help me get that perspective. The moment I can can take a perspective that's bigger than just my own point of view, suddenly I can see that there are a lot of sides to every conflict and every issue that happens. And then that really helps me move forward and begin to find more room for for acceptance of the other person and even compassion and understanding of what that person has experienced. So I I, I do a journaling practice at times where I try to write the story of what happened as if I were the other person. What would they say about what happened and how would they describe it? And that process is really helpful.
0: I think that's a great process. I hadn't heard that before. Um, I, yeah, I think you touched on the two key things. You know, I've heard it said that forgiveness is giving up all hope for a better past. So first of all, we have to accept what happened. But the idea of putting yourself in the other other person's shoes that doesn't come naturally to most of us. But if that, I like that idea of, of doing a, a dialogue or a monologue or dialogue from that person's perspective, um, because there are always two sides to every story.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting. Writing it down is really helpful because sometimes in the process of writing, uh, I think the subconscious can can come through, and you might start writing down things that you never thought of yourself. You you wouldn't think of consciously that mm-hmm. the other person might think or feel about the situation.
0: Yeah, went, and, and you know when you talked about, I think suicide in particular, but also just the fact of someone. Transitioning, and I, 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 I very used rarely use the word dying, but someone leaving us, right? So they transition out of out of this life. A lot of times, we carry anger to the, for that person, and again, especially in the in the case mm-hmm. of suicide, because it's like, how could you do this to me? And we don't think about maybe what they were going through.
2: Yeah, that was very true for me in the case of my dad's suicide, and it took me a lot of years to even admit that I was angry at him mm-hmm. because I. I felt bad about being angry. I I was embarrassed that I was angry and ashamed. And so I hid that from myself even for a number of years until I could look at that and, and then allow myself to be angry at him. Like, it's okay. Like he left my life and I had two little babies and he didn't see them grow up. And, you know, there was so much pain and so much loss and that, uh, it's all right for me to have the anger and, uh, once I acknowledged that, it was such a relief, and that's when I really could start moving forward toward actually, actually healing it and and beginning to recover.
0: Yeah, you have to feel all those feelings, and until you can acknowledge that you're angry, like you said, then you can't forgive him because first you have to acknowledge that you're angry at with him.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I don't know why I don't know why I. I didn't feel that I had a right to be angry. I mm-hmm, guess I, sure. I guess I understood in some ways that he was in terrible pain, and that's why he made that choice. And it seemed wrong to to be angry at someone who was hurting. But yet yeah, I was angry, and so yeah.
0: Well, that's that. The rational mind would say, "Okay, well, I'm I'm not supposed to be angry," but. We all we have emotions. where <laughs> you were human. And uh, so I really like that exercise you you talked about. Uh, I mean, I think they, I think those was a really two important keys. so I want hope everybody picked up on that because a lot of times, as I said, I've talked to so many people that that struggle with forgiveness. I, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I just can't I just can't let this go. And understand that we're doing it for ourselves, I think is another important thing that to understand.
2: Yeah, that it's actually one of the most beneficial things we can do for our health. And it's amazing, the weight that lifts off your shoulders, but also off your heart, when you actually have forgiven someone, it really Mm -hmm. frees up your energy and to be more in the present moment, because you're not keeping alive, old anger and resentments from the past. And so uh, it's 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 a really worthwhile practice, but knowing that it takes years, like for me and my dad, years of work mm-hmm. for that to actually happen. but I could see it getting better and better over time. And yeah it's, it's
0: one of those things if you practice it becomes easier. And I've even heard people say you can learn to proactively forgive if you get if you get good enough at it, you can you can start letting go of things before they they even happen
2: that's exactly that's exactly what I'm trying to do right now is. I've decided I just don't want to add anything, any layers to the for, all the forgiveness I'm already working on. And right. so on a day-to-day basis, when things, especially small things that happen, I just don't want to be mad at the person who cut me off in traffic. I just don't want to feel that. But so mm-hmm. I try right away to say, it's not worth it to me to be mm-hmm. angry about that and to, to k- then carry around that negativity. So I'm going to let it go.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's fantastic. So the the spiritual lessons in your book, how would they apply to people we're going through a lot right now, I think everybody on the planet. So what's something that someone could take from your book now that they could apply, you know, right now?
2: Well, one of the lessons is to learn how to surrender, and just go with the flow of what's happening. And I think, I think a lot of us are struggling right now with all the changes that have taken place in our lives, I mean, day-to-day changes that we couldn't even have imagined in the past. And we really do have to learn that Uh, just as we were talking about with grief, you you have to accept that this is what has happened. And so learning how to to surrender to it and stop trying to change things to go back the way they were before. um, And let go of trying to control what's happening, and be where we are in this moment, the way things are, and find a place of curiosity. That's probably what helps me the most is saying, this is really fascinating, like what's happening right now. It's never happened before in my life. This is something totally new. And I'm so interested and curious to see how it plays out. What will I learn from it? What will come next? And for me, that's a better place to be curious than to be feeling frustrated over the, the things I've had to give up or the things that, that have changed that I didn't want to change.
0: Yeah, and and I want to stay with that for a while, because I think that's so important, because I've seen, um, we're all struggling with the loss of control. And I've seen people behaving in very, very bad ways, um, blowing up over little things. And I think it's largely because of this loss of control. You know, I I haven't had to do this before. Why do I have to do this now? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we do when we when we've lost control in so many areas, we find whatever areas we can have some sort of control, even if it's not rational, it doesn't make sense. We may act out in, in those ways, simply, simply just to give ourselves a feeling of still being empowered. I think, because it's very uncomfortable to feel out of control, it's frightening. Mm -hmm. But usually, I would say, You have to find a new locus of control and that the control that you do have is over your own behavior and your own attitudes and even how you choose to cope with what's happening. Can you do self-care practices, um, meditate and journal and do things to care for yourself better? You have control over that. You have control over those choices that you Mm -hmm. make.
0: Yeah, that's, you know... um... I think we've been conditioned to take control of our lives and to go out there and, and to make things happen. So uh, a lot of us feel frustrated when we can't do that. But you, you made a, another excellent point. Let's take control over things we can take control over. So what can, can I start a meditation practice? Can I start to take better care of myself? Can I decide to, how I'm going to look at this, how I'm going to react to this? And that's those are all things that we can control.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so I think that that's, that's something to focus on every day. Mm-hmm. And we get overwhelmed easily by all the things that, that we don't have control over. And it's actually, it's sad and it's really hard. But at the same time, we're being invited into this new space of, of creativity and finding new ways of coping and new ways of caring for ourselves.
0: Yeah. And you and you talked about it before, you know, curiosity, what's what's going to come next, which um, I guess if we can take a longer view of things, a bigger view, if we if we keep these seven lessons in mind, we can start to maybe expand our horizons a little bit as opposed to this is what I can't do today. You know, I just I real I want to I want to go out to eat or I want to go to a movie and I just can't do it.
2: Yes, definitely. And I think the other the other lesson that I'm really focusing on right now is the lesson of love again, to to even talk about love, it always sounds trite, I think, because we hear it everywhere in our society, and uh, we apply love to all kinds of situations, like we love hamburgers and we love cars. yeah, <laughs> but but I really do think this is a time in our whole society where each one of us needs to think about how can I be more loving today? How can I bring more love? Because our whole planet is hurting right now. And we need all the kindness and compassion that we can find. And so I feel like if I get, try to bring myself to that place of how can I, how can I soften my heart and just feel more love and compassion and not Not get angry at people who don't agree with me about things or see the world differently. How can I recognize everyone right now is hurting and everyone needs all the love I can possibly share?
1: We'll get back to Grief to Growth in just a few seconds. Did you know that Brian is an author and a life coach? If you're grieving or know someone who is grieving, his book Grief to Growth is a best selling, easy to read book that might help you or someone you know. People work with Brian as a life coach to break through barriers and live their best lives. You can find out more about Brian and what he offers at www.g-r-i-e-f, the www.grief2growth.com, or text GROWTH, g-r-o-w-t-h to 31996. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash grief to growth www.patreon.com slash g-r-i-e-f the number two g-r-o-w-t-h to make a financial contribution. And now back to grief to growth.
2: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Hi there, I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. www.griefthenumber2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I've interviewed a lot of people who have had near death experiences and one of it's universal. Everyone comes back. They they have different lessons and there's about there's about 10 that are pretty, you know, pretty standard. But the number one lesson is always love. And they say kind of like what you said. Well, it seems kind of trite to talk about love, but that's really what it's all about. And especially in a time right now when people are just feeling so out of sorts and disconnected and out of control and are acting out so i think it's really important to keep that lesson in mind that you know maybe it's just smiling at someone you know or you know stepping aside and letting them go first you know things of like that just just give show people a little bit of extra grace
2: yeah and I, the nice thing about it is it's simple To remember, I mean, we can boil everything down to just that one word and that one act, try Mm -hmm. to just remember love. So if you can't think of anything else during the day, and everything else is falling apart, keep that as your default, (laughs) default mode, find as much love as you can.
0: So, uh, Karen, how can listeners be better prepared for for difficult times that are coming up in our lives? What what kind of things can we do to to get ready for those things?
2: Well, I feel like it's really important to have a spiritual practice of some kind that we really do need to spend a little time every day intentionally um, looking within and really trying to work on ourselves in, in a spiritual way. And so... So I something like yoga or meditation or journaling, just a practice that we give a little time, even 15 minutes a day to, so that we're always tuning in with ourselves and looking within and working on growing to be the best people we can be. And then um, I think, again cultivating uh, the attitude that you know honestly in life nothing lasts everything changes our whole planet has been set up that way life wouldn't go on if there weren't changes yeah. and if there weren't death death is part of the whole cycle of life and so it, the more that we can get comfortable with that idea that everything here on the planet has been set up that way every living thing will die at some point and and once we accept it and stop resisting that, I think that also helps us to view each moment that we have here as precious, mm-hmm. and to be able to make the most of of our time. It's, none of us knows how much time we have. We really don't know how long we'll be here.
0: Right. Well, you know that's another difficult thing for us. I think it's it's you know it's interesting our culture you know, it's they they it's kind of taught us to to hold on everything, you know, and grab everything and get it while you're here. And, you know, hold on to your youth. And I'm I'm getting the age where I'll be 60 next year. And, you know, I I see people trying to hold on to being 35 or being 40. And people are doing everything they possibly can to keep our bodies young. And it's it's you're you're fighting against father time. Um, so there I think there's there's a general denial of the fact that everything in this earth passes through
2: yes definitely i think we're kind of a youth focused culture if you look at advertising you know Mm -hmm. it's always like always showing us if only you were younger and more attractive and stronger and fitter like these people in advertising but it's just one of the great um illusions in a way Mm -hmm. of life here and So for me, it's been the most helpful to prepare myself knowing things will change. Like I, everything feels great for me right now in this moment, but things will change because life is always changing Mm -hmm. and there will be things I will have to deal with down the road. So I already acknowledge it and I already feel like I'm being prepared for it in a way. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to come as a complete shock to me. I won't feel blindsided if something does happen because, because I've been, um, working on myself and preparing myself. And, and I guess what I'm working toward is kind of balance and equanimity and being able to find my way back to being at peace with no matter what is happening in my life.
0: Yeah. But you know, the, the thing is, and the great thing about it is what we're talking about is we don't have to give up everything by saying everything everything changes and everything goes away because it doesn't mean there's an end, right? There's always something new. And even death is a new beginning.
2: Exactly that's right. So so the physical things around me in this moment may pass but yes not come to an end because the love, the joy, the beauty all of that's going to continue on and and who we don't even know we have no idea how much more there will be for us when we do pass uh, pass on from this physical existence. So you're right I think that gives us a tremendous amount of hope to um, although I, I hurt for the people who don't have that kind of awareness because I realize that um life can could feel much more frightening if all you see is that is a hard stop. You yeah. take your last breath and that's it and there's
0: nothing. Yeah, you're headed for a brick wall. I think I I, I feel sorry for those people. I, I, I really do and I and I hope This is why I do what I do, because I want to give everybody the hope, whether it's, you know, faith based or based on science or based on philosophy or based on whatever to understand what we really are as as human beings. And you talked about that practice. And I think it's twofold. I think it's one to steal against those things that are coming up to give us make us stronger so we can endure those things and, and and grow through them, but also to every day to remember that this is not all there is. What I see around me is not all there is. What I see is my body. this is this is not me. I think that's a very important practice to say, you know I, I look in the mirror, my body's getting older, but it's just my body. it's not it's not who I am.
2: Oh, exactly, exactly. Um, In my book, I write, I call it the taking the galaxy view, which Mm -hmm. I got from uh, Edgar Mitchell, who started the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which was an astronaut. Mm -hmm. And he described looking down on Earth from um, being in a spaceship orbiting, and the tininess of the Earth compared to the vastness of the universe made him realize, you know, all the problems that I find in my physical life on earth are just so tiny and there's something so much so much greater going on here than that and he said it changed his perspective forever and so so i write about trying to take that the galaxy view from the higher view always of what we're going through and realizing on a physical level alone this is hard and it's Mm -hmm. challenging but there's also something so much greater going on in the universe and this is just a little blip in in that eternity and in in all all the time that's there the time in which i'm growing spiritually and my soul is developing
0: yeah well that's what the the people in the in the years tell us right they tell us that you know, despite all that, what it looks to be chaotic, what looks to be terrible, what looks to be tragic, there's actually an order. There's actually a beauty to, to everything that, that you're going through. So that's the only place where I kind of ask people to have faith is like, you know, have faith in that, that that everything's going to be okay. And it really can just, it doesn't take the problems away, but it makes them seem not so overwhelming. And. Right.
2: Yeah, definitely. And one of the things I mean, I, I um, suggested people to not be afraid of being around death, if they have that opportunity, if they have a loved one, even if it's a distant relative, mm-hmm. who's dying, if they're able to go and be there and sit with that person or somehow participate, that being close to someone who's in that space, that kind of liminal space between the two worlds, I think that's one of the best ways to actually open your own mind to the fact that there's something bigger here. And I don't really have to be so afraid of death. And so I do encourage people to not to shy away. If someone they love is at the very end of of life and they're able to go there and and be with that person, it, it could change everything for them.
0: Yeah, that's um, it's interesting you say that because I had I started off with a really big fear of death and had it most of my life and so um, when I think about being someone who's died and I've actually stayed away when, like when my grandmother passed away I was in my early twenties and and I, I just could not be there when it happened um, so that's it's interesting to tell people to, and I, but we talked about early we have to lean into things that scare us I think I think so it's a good thing to maybe try to work yourself up towards
2: yeah yeah exactly. Um, when my mother died, uh, I took care of her in her home in uh, the last days of her life. Mm-hmm. And my older brother was not able to come and see her. i I really wanted him to come. i mean, he he actually he poked his head in for a few minutes and left right away. He couldn't yeah. couldn't be there. Um but interestingly, five years after that, his daughter died of breast cancer, mm-hmm. and he was with her the entire time. Wow. And so I, f- I felt like maybe experiencing uh, the fear over, over our mom's death and looking at that, th- that might have helped prepare him a little bit so he could be there later on. So like you said, a little at a time and, uh, you know, we we, we yeah. can get comfortable with it as we go.
0: Yeah. So how do we help... Um an elderly parent or somebody, how do we help them prepare for end of life, especially if it's someone that doesn't really like to think about that or talk about that? Um,
2: Yeah, one of the things one of the things that has worked really well for me with my mom, and I and I've recommended to other people is to actually bring up the conversation by asking them what it was like for them when their parent died or or another loved one in their lives Mm. and for my mom she really wanted to tell me the stories of when her father died and when her mother died because she had she'd been carrying those stories with her for a long time Mm. and that was quite a comfortable way for me to just listen and let her tell me everything that happened and how she felt about it and how what it was like and from there I was able to say to her well what would you like to be different when it's your time and having her having already explored the story and her telling me um, her mother didn't want CPR, but she got CPR in the hospital and didn't want to be in the hospital, but died in the hospital and was unhappy about it. It let me say, well, how would you feel about that? What do you think? What do you, what would, what would you want if it were Mm -hmm. you, if you were in grandma's shoes? And so it was a, an easy way to open up the topic, and her having already told those stories brought her into the place where where she could just put herself into my grandmother's place and talk about uh, about that, about what she would want if she were my grandmother. And so uh, that got us started, and that really helped open things up to have additional conversations down the road and that it's another thing like you were saying like being with someone who's dying we have to take our time with it Mm -hmm. and maybe talk a little bit around it initially and then go back other times and ask other questions uh to to try to delve into it more deeply but i found Asking them to tell a story first mm-hmm. is something that really does open up their hearts and make them more willing to talk about it.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great way to make it a little bit less personal. Um, so mm-hmm. to, to to let them talk about a third person, um, you know, making their transition, uh, because we again, I think a lot of us still have this this um, this fear. I mean, death is a, is an unknown for most of us, and if we don't if we don't study it, you know, like like you have and like I have. Uh, it remains this big mystery, and we we fear what we don't know. And so if we, if we view death as a big black box, you know, we don't know what it is, then it's, we're going to fear it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then that fear can really kind of take up a large part of our life energy in a way, you know, mm-hmm. because we spend our lives either trying to deny it or or hiding our fear or running away from it. Um, When once we face the fear and kind of move past it, we're so much freer to just live life and, and accept it however it is.
0: Absolutely. You know, I was interesting. I was talking with a friend the other day who purports to be an atheist materialist and thinks that, you know, when you die, that's it, It's you know, lights out. Okay, that's fine. But then this person told me, but I'm scared of dying. And I said, you know, and she's a very rational person. I said, well, as a rational person, you realize fearing non-existence is not rational because you won't be around to know that you doesn't, <laughs> don't exist. So you truly don't believe you're not going to exist. And I think that's it's interesting. I was I was talking with Calvin Chen, who wrote the book Overcoming the Fear of Death. And what the first belief system he talks about is just this belief that we're not going to continue, but people fear it. And I think it's a really interesting kind of uh, paradox, I guess. That we've I think we just even as human beings we can't imagine that we're not going to continue, even if we say we do,
2: yeah, that's so true because if we're we're fearing not being here, but we're fearing knowing that we're not here, yeah. <laughs> we're fearing uh staring into the darkness and experiencing it after we die, but that's isn't consistent with with that belief system, actually, and so yeah you're you're so right about that uh contradiction. Yeah. In, in how they're looking at it.
0: That's why I think it's really important. You know, the thing about death is it, it's so uncomfortable for us. It's just, it's a taboo subject, you know? Um, but it's the one thing that we all know that's going to happen. You know, they say death and taxes are the two things that are certain. It's really only death. And uh, we know as soon as, 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 we're born, we have a destiny to, to transition. We, you know, as we talked about everything in this world kind of passes through. So, I really encourage people to face that because I spent many years, decades of my life worried about it, fearing it, and when I finally turned and faced it and started studying it, the more I studied it, the more that fear just went away.
2: Yeah, and I think we're especially disadvantaged in kind of modern Western society because death has been removed from our day-to-day existence. Yeah. If you think about over a hundred years ago, most people died at home. Mm-hmm. And so even children grew up having had an um, you know an elderly grandparent die at home and having experienced it and witnessed it. Mm-hmm. and we're so removed from it. Um, when when in the past most people died in hospitals now more people are dying at home because we've consciously made a shift that direction Mm -hmm. but also funerals are always outside of the home and away from us and so so we can distance ourselves as much as we want from seeing it our society makes it easy for us but so much to our detriment because as you said it's something all of us are going to experience it's inevitable and universal and uh it's very sad that we go through life not being prepared for the one thing that we can count on is going to happen
0: yeah again i think it comes back to that looking at it as the end and and nobody wants to face the end so if we can start to look beyond that horizon um i think that makes all the difference in the world
2: i also think of it it's the one thing that unites us with every yeah. other human on the planet, too. And so when we're getting lost in how different we are from other people, if we remember, we share this very fundamental <laughs> characteristic, but we will all die and we all have some discomfort or fear or pain around death. And that would be a way that we could connect with anyone. Yeah, and We could connect with any human simply by talking about, Our grief, you know, the the pain of having someone we love die, that would bond us to anyone.
0: Yeah, and that was actually the next question I was going to ask you. What do you say to to readers or to listeners who are struggling with grief and terminal illness? And you just touched on one. You know, grief is also a universal thing. If we're if we're around long enough, we're all going to go through grief.
2: Yes, definitely, and I, I do think it's helpful. Well, I remember when I was in the midst of this like a terrible darkness around my dad's death. It was hard for me to believe that anyone else had ever experienced Mm -hmm. that. I Mm -hmm. I remember thinking I'm so different from everyone else. No one would ever understand me, which it's strange to think that way. But that's how I felt like I was in this completely isolated place all alone. And there was no one to talk to, no one who would ever relate to it. Now I look back at that and see, you know, there were people, everywhere all around me who wow. could have but i didn't know how to get out of my dark space to connect with anyone else um and the one of the things i would say to we talked about already is is being willing to feel all the feelings mm-hmm. that the grief is bringing to you, the pain and the anger um, To be able to feel all of it, because I spent too many years trying not to feel any of the feelings. That's why I got stuck in the darkness. I was trying too hard not to feel the feelings. The other thing that I finally recognized, too, is that in the early years after my dad died, I would wake up every single day and think... Someday I'm going to wake up and I will feel exactly like I felt before dad died. Someday yeah. it'll go back to normal and I will feel that way. And finally, when I recognized, wait a minute, an event this big in your life is meant to change you. It's mm-hmm. meant to change everything. You're not going to go back where you were before. Yeah. You're moving towards something else. You're changing And when I finally saw it's okay to let myself change, that's actually when I did that is actually when I opened up to the idea of working in hospice, because I Mm. realized, I have to allow myself, I have to let this change me into the next newest person I am meant to be. And it actually was the best thing that I ever could have done, because I found my true path and where I was meant to be.
0: Yeah, that is, that is really profound, and it's it's something I go through with a lot of my clients because that that first really big grief event, you know, that that one that really just hits you right in the core. A lot of people, it's like you said, we we're always looking, for, we're always looking to go back to normal. What we're going through right now, the changes we're going through. When can we just get back to the way things were? And we have to understand that that's not the way life is designed. We're not we're not designed to go back, and that's a good thing. We can we can become a better version of ourselves. So that's so why I try to tell people, it's like. Well, you're not going to be the person that you were, but you can be a better version of the person that you were. You can you can use this to, to motivate yourself
2: exactly oh it took me so many years to realize that part because i didn't have a grief counselor like you yeah. <laughs> to tell you know to help me see that i had to figure that out mm-hmm. over a long time but i realize as you said right now today what we're going through with the pandemic that's exactly where all of us are most people are starting are counting the days until life will go back to exactly where it was before this all began. Mm-hmm. But but that isn't really what it's about. Like an event this big that involves the entire planet, it's meant to change us all. And that's what we have to look toward is how is this changing me and shaping me? Mm-hmm. And how is this going to help me become, as you said, a better version of myself?
0: Yeah, that's the that's one of the keys, I think, um, of the spiritual practice, we talked about it is looking forward to 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 making ourselves into a, to better parts and to really understanding that we're here to expand and to grow Uh, and and not to desire that clinging onto who I was when I was 25, you know, if, if if you're 75 and you're the same person you were when you were 25, I think you've missed the whole point of life.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of the things that I also think about just is I think of life as a classroom and think of the fact that I came here for the purpose of learning as much as I can learn. Mm -hmm. A lot of the learning will probably come through discomfort. It will happen through things that are painful for me or that I initially don't like very much, but that's how I will learn. And that, when I accept it that way, it makes it makes me, that's where the curiosity comes from. Well, I'm in this classroom, so what is this about? What is it? What's here for me to learn and how will I grow from this? And that actually gives me a lot of reassurance because no matter what happens, I don't stop and spend time thinking, this shouldn't be, this should not have happened. Yeah. I don't ever spin my wheels thinking that way. I stop and say, whoa, I'm back in the classroom What's the lesson going to be? What's the, what's the curriculum here yeah. right now? And what will I end up learning from this? And many times I have no idea. I have no idea what, it, what I will end up learning, but it, it comes.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting. That's, I think that's a great metaphor, but I actually take it literally. I, I, I'm just like you. And I had an event that happened to me just yesterday. And it really, you know, set me back. My, my wife was laid off from her job. Um, so we're going through this COVID thing. She works in the healthcare field, and they kept cutting her hours and cutting her hours, and finally told her yesterday, well, "You're not coming back." So I'm I'm lying there in bed last night, and I'm thinking, oh, "This is terrible. How's this going to work out? What are we going to do for insurance, all that stuff?" And then you know, it takes a little while. I mean, it's like the shift is immediate, but then I'm like, "But what's going to come next? You know, what's going to happen next? Maybe something better will come along. It's always worked out before." And what am I supposed to learn from this, you know, and here I am advising people on how to do this thing, right? So what am, what am I going to do with it? So, you know, you, you make that shift, that shift to perspective that we're, we're all human and we, it doesn't allow us to bypass the feelings. We still have the fear and we still have to live with, you know, all the, all the limit, limitations of being human, but we can quickly kind of shift to what's the higher perspective,
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think another important thing that I had to learn, too, is not to compare my journey with anyone else's Mm -hmm. journey. And I see that a lot uh, with my daughter talking to her she'll always call and say but this person had this workout and it was so much easier for her and why Mm -hmm. did it go that way for her and I said well she's in a different classroom she's taking a different course right now I use that I use that with her to 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 help her think like we're all here learning our own things it's something different for all of us and so we just each have to pay attention and and make the most of of our own lessons that come to us but they are not going to be the same as the person sitting next to us. They're on a different track. They're they're learning their own things.
0: Yeah. And that's and that that also goes back to what's a good thing and what's a bad thing. Because you know if you're if you're if you're you're here you take an advanced course, you're gonna get you're gonna get more difficult lessons. <laughs> you're gonna get more out of it. You know, when you leave here, you're gonna have more more growth, but it's gonna be more uncomfortable because um people only grow through discomfort. I I, I hate to say that but I just think it's true. If everything were always the exactly the way that we wanted it to be, none of us would ever change anything.
2: It's so true. I and mean, I look back at times in my life, you know, when things seemed relatively wonderful and amazing, and mm-hmm. I can't say that I grew very much. I think those were uh, little times to rest up and recover. Yeah. But I can't say that those were times of a lot of growth yeah. or or change. And you're right; it's it's it is the challenges that help us grow. And that's another thing we have to accept that, that uh, this is how growth happens here on planet Earth, at least.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So how are you different after writing this book? But how is how have you changed since, since writing the book?
2: Well, it, uh, it opened me up so much to become a more spiritual person, the person mm-hmm. that I was really meant to be, and to to really stop wasting time, getting mired down in uh, emotions and jealousy and, and things that just that weren't worth my time and, mm-hmm. and anger and to start Trying to live more authentically and be more vulnerable and more loving in my life. And then that helped me in everything that I did immensely. You know, we made a move at one point um, where I gave up my hospice job, moved to a new community that didn't have a paid job in hospice. So Mm. I had to go back into family medicine. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated because I thought, wait, hospice was my path, hospice was the thing I discovered. And it's I'm losing it now. But because of what I had learned spiritually, I just knew, okay, interesting, a new classroom, there's something new here, What's, mm-hmm. what can I make of this? And, how? and so it has helped me so much to find so much peace of mind, no matter what the ups and downs are, no matter what I'm going through in my life. And then also to feel like I'm able to bring forth my gifts and what I have to offer yeah. and share them with other people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Karen, I understand you're speaking at the IANS conference, and it's going to be virtual this year. It's August uh, 14th through the 16th. It's going to be online. I'm going to give people the website to go to register. Uh, It's virtualconference.ians.org. That's I A N D S. And you're speaking on Sunday, I believe. Mm -hmm.
2: Sunday, August 16th. Mm -hmm. And the title of the talk is Love Over Fear Lessons from the Dying. So, I'll be talking about these lessons and why especially right now we need to emphasize love and not get caught up in the fear of the circumstances that we're in and and part of that approach too is realizing you know isn't it interesting we we all came to planet earth to be here right now in this lifetime for what we're going through right now and to Mm -hmm. think of how amazing that is really that we're we're all here together going through this and it's it's kind of a privilege, actually, to be here right now and experience what's happening on our planet. So um, can we choose love and not sink into fear?
0: Yeah, well, it's it's a challenge. But as you said, it's really interesting to see because I'm curious where we're going to end up in a year or two. You know, what what changes will we see because of what we're going through? So um, I gave your website earlier your um uh, it was the Karen white MD.com, but I also they have a website for your podcast. So tell me about your podcast.
2: Yeah, I started a podcast, the whole, the inner interviews I started doing seven years ago, uh, with basically people who work in any aspect of end of life care. Mm-hmm. And, um, partly for me, cause I wanted to learn things and I wanted to share what I was learning with other people mm-hmm. and then turned it into a podcast. It's called end of life university. And um, I broadcast once a week, every Monday. So people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the, all the usual places. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, if they're interested in listening, but they can also go to the website eoluniversity.com and the, the podcast is posted there and I have blogs and some courses there as well.
0: Yeah, I'm sure people will be interested in, in checking it out. You've got so much to say, so much, so much wisdom, uh, so much. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's really fascinating to talk to you and, and to listen to you and hear, you know, what you've learned and the lessons that you put into the book, uh, which I want to read again. It's seven lessons for seven lessons for living from the dying uh, by yes. Dr. Karen Wyatt, MD. Karen, it's been really great getting to know you and have you on grief to growth. Is there anything Thank you want to say before before we wrap up today?
2: Uh, I think mainly for people to just remember what we were talking about, that it's it's really about love. If you can keep it simple in every day, yeah. just, just think of that. Just remember to try to be more loving. I think we'll get through this all together.
0: That's awesome. Thank you very much, Karen. You have a great day.
2: Thanks, Brian.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I want to make it really easy for you to reach me. So just send me a text to 31996 and simply text the word GROWTH, G-R-O-W-T-H. In fact, you can right now just say, Hey Siri, send a message to 31996. And when Siri asks you what you want to send, just say GROWTH. You can do the same thing with OK Google. Thanks a lot. Have a wonderful day.
1: Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful, and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth: Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are 3 things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron head over to www.patreon.com slash grief 2 growth. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot slash grief, the number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grief2growth.com